You're listening to another life-transforming message from C3 Church San Diego. For more information on our church, go to c3sandiego.com. So I was thinking about the perfect family. As we're in our family series, I'm like, what does the perfect family look like? And I thought too long, (laughs) wasted a lot of time because I couldn't find one. I'm like, well, what about, you know, someone in the Bible? At least in the Bible, like Jesus' family, maybe. Like, there has to be a perfect family. So I came across some stories, and the dysfunction starts with the first family God ever created. The wifey Eve tricked the hubby Adam into disobeying God. Then things got really bad when one of their boys, Cain, killed the other one, Abel. OMG. Then Cain ran away to avoid prosecution. His was the first picture on a milk carton. Okay. Powerful. Then you have Jacob's family. Jacob had 12 boys. Ah. And decided to buy the youngest one, Joseph, a designer coat. Very generous. That didn't sit well with the other brothers. So instead of leaving him out of family football, they decided to throw him into a hole and kill him. The older brother, Reuben, was more reasonable and talked them into merely selling him as a slave to a band of Egyptian thugs. They told dad an animal killed him. (laughs) Dysfunctional, right? This is like some ish. Then we have King Saul. Israel's first king, Saul, was jealous of the popularity of a shepherd boy, David, and became obsessed with killing him. Saul's son, Jonathan, protected his best friend, David, choosing his friend over his dad. Dad and son became estranged. That was not a display of family unity. And then Jesus, our beloved Jesus. Jesus' parents, Mary and Joseph, left their son, Jesus, behind on a road trip to Jerusalem. I don't know how that happens, but Mary and Joseph, maybe because they were so young, I don't know. They somehow missed the fact that the Son of God was no longer with them on the way home. (laughs) Somehow. They turned around and went back for him. They found him in the temple. Yeah, he's worshiping the Lord, and they made him get back into the wagon. Oh, my goodness. So there's a little bit of uh, proof that good luck finding the perfect family. And don't feel bad if your family's not perfect or anywhere close. I want to pop up a picture of my family. Beautiful. Yes. Uh, Take a moment. (laughs) First off, I'd like to point out, I traded in Dr. Pastor Matt as my husband, and I got this man, Mateo. He's 20 pounds lighter and very thin. Let's give him a hand. Thank you, babe, for losing all that weight. So now I can fit both of my arms around you. You're so handsome. You're so handsome. So handsome. So handsome. Okay. My motto is, the more perfect a picture, probably the more messed up your family is. Okay? So you're throwing, throwing through Instagram. All the family photos are about to come out. You're going to get the family Christmas cards and be like, why are they so perfect? Why does their outfits match? They probably spent like five hours shopping for that outfit. Yeah, I did. I did. I was on Target.com for like three days straight trying to figure out the freaking perfect outfit for my family photo. 
And for some reason, my brain wasn't working that week, and my PA's brain must have been on vacation because we booked family photos, a birthday party, my mom's birthday party, all while my husband's preaching that Sunday. And so this is the result of all of that stress. But Micah, my seven-year-old, was complaining the entire time that she was hot and sweaty. It was like 95 degrees. We were in Mission Trails. It was like the desert, pretty much. And I was in four-inch heels carrying a 30-pound baby, uh, complaining in my head the whole time, like, what the heck was I thinking? This is so far. Why did they pick this place? It's so far. And yeah, at least it all stayed in my brain. And then Merrick was trying to jump out of my arms because he thinks he knows how to walk, but he just learned to crawl like a week ago. Excuse me. And then Maverick was off in the bushes peeing. (laughs) And so, this is a product of that day. We made it. So just think, this is hashtag real life. It happens to the best of us. But what I'm here to tell you this morning is despite all of this-ish, God has created family for a reason, for a purpose, and he cares. He cares about family. I came across a beautiful quote this week. It says this. It's going to pop up on the screen. It says, to be loved but not known is comforting but superficial. To be known and not loved is our greatest fear. But to be fully known and truly loved is, well, a lot like being loved by God. It is what we need more than anything. It liberates us from pretense, humbles us out of our self-righteousness, and fortifies us for any difficulty life can throw at us. And I think that the prophet, Timothy Keller, the man who wrote this quote, knew a little something about God's destiny for family. And so we're going to go on a little vacation today. It was about a 30-minute vacation. And we are going to take our bags. I have some some, uh, props here. We're going to take our bags and we're going to look at each one of these that I have, that God has shown me really to speak into today. And we're going to check our bags and we're never going to pick them up. We're going to come home a whole lot lighter and come back feeling a whole lot better about whatever ish we're walking through today. So the first one, let's get into this. The first one I want to bring out this. So each one of these are chosen for a reason. Uh, Maybe not the colors, but the sizes. So this one is massive. It's really big for a reason. It's called genetics. And the reason I picked the biggest luggage I own is because there's so much that can be entailed in this one topic. You can go the direction of generational things. You can go down to your DNA with your genetics. And there's so many things that can be wrapped up. This is the size of bag that when I walk out of my my bathroom from packing and my husband says, do you really have to bring that huge bag? And I say yes, because I spent the past five days packing it and there's no other option and I'm probably gonna go shopping on vacation. So it's coming with. So now, as I was developing this point, I do realize that, um, and you must realize, (laughs) that I am not Dr. Scientist Pastor Michaela Hubbard. So there's a lot of research and a lot of um, age-old theology that goes back and forth on the topic of genetics. What I'm here to tell you today is that the only thing that runs in your genes is diarrhea. 
after all of my research, the only thing that runs in your genes is diarrhea. I make that point to tell you it gets harmful when we find ourselves saying it runs in my family. And I hear it way too often. Until you have the revelation that you are a new creation in Christ and that God has given you the power with his word and with his Holy Spirit to literally change the outcome of your life. And I want to prove it to you because the Bible is very clear. Sometimes all we have to do is look to the Bible. Genesis 1.27 says, So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. The Bible clearly says that we're made in his image. But what I find happening all too often is people thinking they're made in the image of their parents or their grandparents or whatever the DNA test said that you mailed in and it came back. And I'm not saying that those tests are wrong or bad, but it's the amount of power that you give the information that you're receiving. And so for me, I grew up in a family that generally was healthy, but some different traumatic experiences happened um, with having a dad who struggled with alcoholism and uh, my parents being divorced three times. Um, It creates a lot of things that can happen in a lot of vulnerable situations. And so what I have been able to do, and which everyone in this room can do, is claim the power of God over those things so that it doesn't have control over me now. We are not defined by who our parents, our grandparents, or our great-grandparents are or were. It's valuable to know where we come from, but we cannot place all of our eggs in that basket. All of, there's, there's a power to the awareness. Like, if I know that I have this, this, and this, that means I can take it captive, speak the word of God over it, pray into it. I'll tell you, I, we've had counseling sessions. We've had deliverance. We, I say because two equals one now. So my husband gets to deal with all my ish too. Um, we, we've had, we've walked through these things and it's a journey that Christ can and will take you on so that you do not become defined by your genetics or your generational dispositions. Amen. 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 Ephesians 3.14 says, for this I kneel before the Father, for whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. It does not matter what your last name is. All that matters is that your name is derived from the Father in heaven. And I want to let you know this morning, if you're thinking this runs in my family, that runs in my family, so I must have it. I must be careful of it. Things that run in your family can literally become crippled with you. If you can take those things captive, have an awareness around it, reposition it, speak the word of God over it, change your thoughts about it, you can change those things for your future and for your family's future and create a new destiny in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, anyone, anyone, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. You and you alone have the power 
to become a new creation through Christ by what you think and what you say. Proverbs 18.21 says, the tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. If there's something that, has, that you are aware of in your background, in, your, in the generations before you, I would encourage you to speak what you see. Yeah. The, the Bible says that you can speak those things that you do not see so that you can see them. Right. You, if you see, you know, my, I see poverty mentality running all in and throughout the, the generations before me. You can take the scriptures like what my husband so bril- brilliantly preached this morning and redefine what that looks like for your life. Amen. Dr. Carolyn Leaf, who is a doctor, and I would read her book, it's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> she, she says, as we think, we change the physical nature of our brain. As we consciously direct our thinking, we can wire out toxic patterns of thinking and replace them with healthy thoughts. This is possible. This is like such um, a revelation that I think a lot of Christians, for whatever reason, maybe it's lack of knowledge or just refuse to walk in this, but we have so much more power over these things than what a lot of people think they do. A lot of people will come under the, the things that are spoken or the report that comes back but you actually have the authority and the power to take over these things. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna take this big, huge bag, which what they would normally probably charge me like $200 to check, and um, we're gonna check it, and then guess what, Southwest Airlines? You get to keep it and never come back, amen. Okay, everyone good? Are we good? Okay, just making sure. Number two, number two is, besides being my favorite bag that I own now, I got this for, what did I get this for? Birthday? Something? Anyways, it's called Disorder. Okay. So this bag, there's a hyphen in the middle, so I'm not talking about disorder. I'm talking about order that's not there. (laughs) Disorder. So if you look in the bag of Disorder... Somebody decided to not be organized, and they just have everything jumbled. That is so stressful. Oh my gosh. How many, like I'm an Enneagram type six? Not working for me. God has a divine order, and if we're living out of alignment, you are letting the enemy have a foothold into your family that you can actually gain authority over by simply getting into the order that God has designed. Your family is to be seen as a garden that you tend to. God has given you this beautiful garden. If, if you had a garden in your backyard and you had a picture window looking out at it and it just looked ugly with full of weeds, and all, would you leave it? I hope not. I would come over and fix it for you. <laughs> But what we can do is get into the order that God has designed. Romans 13, 1 to 2. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, ooh, love that word. Whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so so will bring judgment on themselves. 
This scripture is powerful because it gives you personal responsibility that you can take so that order is created in your family. Those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. So you can't blame God. You can't blame the devil. Look in the mirror. Listen. Oh my gosh. Deep breath. It's okay. (laughs) So what exactly is that order? Um, 1 Corinthians says uh, 11.3, but I want you to realize that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is, is a man, and the head of Christ is God. So you're questioning, what does that order look like? It clearly says in that in Corinthians, head of every man is Christ, head of the woman is man, and head of Christ is God. And so I want to put it out there to you today, and I'm going to go for the men first, because the men are the head of the household. When you get to heaven someday, God's not going to sit there and ask you about your employees and um, what car you drove and how big your house was and how many friends you had and all those things. Your personal responsibility as a man is to your household. How do we do that? I... I'm sure a lot of you men are asking, so how do we do that? If my family's out of order and I'm a man and I need to regain authority as the head of the household, I would encourage you to go to men's prayer yes. on Tuesdays at 5.30 because you'll have about you and 99 other men showing you how to do that. But the best way to do that is to pray. Matthew 16, 19 says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. When God asks you for an account of your family to the man, he, he is going to expect that you've taken personal responsibility and you've taken headship over your family. Really now, that doesn't mean you can go around ordering all, everyone in your family what to do. You still, like, love is the first commandment, okay? <laughs> so everything in the context of love. Everything in the context of love. And then women, what does it say for us? And a lot of women... Um, and I can speak into this for myself, when we did pre-marriage counseling, I was like, submit what? What's that word mean, submit? I'm so confused. A beautiful couple in our church who's still here today uh, did our pre-marriage counseling, God bless their hearts, and uh, advised that we maybe shouldn't get married because I had too many issues. (sighs) But God is good. Ephesians 5.22 says, wives, submit yourselves to your own husband. As your own husband, submit yourself to your own husband. There's only one. I can be a little bit harsher on the girls because you're my girls. And we're going to cherish this week and Pastor Leanne can clean it up. (laughs) For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the savior. So the husband is the head and the woman is the neck that turns the head. Just kidding, that wasn't Bible. That wasn't Bible. That was me. Of course, we have a women's prayer meeting as well on Thursdays at 7 and 9 if you need help learning how to do this because I've been on my own journey of learning how to do this. But what I've discovered is there's so much more power whenever we as the women can submit to the headship of our husbands. We are, we are then given the freedom to be bold and confident all in the context of this order. And I love that our church does this so well. You witness it 
when you see Pastor Jurgen and Leanne together, separate, preaching, whatever it is, that Pastor Leanne isn't walking around like this little shy, you know, meek, feeling sorry for herself, victim woman who's submitting to her husband. No, it becomes a beautiful, powerful thing that the women can walk into. And I mean, it gets a little sticky if you have a husband who who doesn't follow the Lord. So I don't want to go there today. But I do want to say, if you have a husband that is, is saved and living for God, then your mission is not to try to come up with your own mission over here. Your mission is to submit to what the head of the household declares. So it doesn't mean us women are pushover, uh, you know, just do whatever the man says, but we recognize there's a mission and we come under that mission in um, partnership with our husbands. Amen? Amen? All right, so we've got head of the household, we've got the woman, and then we have parents, okay? Who here is a parent? Good. I love, I love kids, they're so fun. Um, they, they make life so exciting, don't they? Um, okay, so God's mandates to parents is purpose, responsibility, authority, and accountability. The Bible is very clear when it says to train up a child in the way that he or she should go. In Deuteronomy 6, 5, it says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Next, impress them on your children. So it doesn't just stop with you. You could be amazing human being and amazing Christian and do all these incredible things for God. But if we forget to impress them on our children, where does that leave them? The Bible says, talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Basically, talk about these commandments that that God's given us all the time. Have conversations, driving to school picking up from school, when you're at dinner, have intentional conversations. And you know, I know, I know we have an amazing kids church. Yes. I know we have an amazing youth program. I know we have an incredible alliance, uh, junior high that are meeting right now, but the buck doesn't stop with the church. The buck stops with the parents. And it is a beautiful partnership that the church can make with the parents. I love that my kids are in kids church, not being babysat, but being taught the word of God and being taught to worship. And they come in here last Sunday night, my little girl was in here and during worship, raising her hands. And you see little one-year-olds sometimes, you know, you see babies and they'll just be like this. It's a beautiful thing. But all that to say is if the responsibility of the parents is taken away, the church can only do so much. And so we must make sure that we're taking authority and responsibility in the garden of our children Something I've noticed in families that creeps in is complacency. The Bible says in Proverbs 27, 23, be sure you know the condition of your flock. Give careful attention to your herds. Yes, we place our faith in God that our children will grow up and be amazing and be healthy and do incredible things and walk in the kingdom of God and the purpose and the favor of God. But the Bible says to know the condition. So part of that responsibility is is I don't have the same conversation with my five-year-old boy that I have with my seven-year-old girl. We need to know the condition. And especially if you have teenagers, oh my gosh, I have so much to learn. If you have teenagers, 
They're all walking through a different thing, and they're all going to require different conversations in different seasons. The next thing I want to speak into, all part of disorder. If this is out of order, you're going to see a whole heck of a hot mess. The Bible wants us to create a legacy. The Bible says a good man or a good woman leaves an inheritance to his children's children. But all too often, you see people who create an amazing legacy, and then it's all lost because they focus so much on that legacy. And the focus came off of the family and off of taking responsibility in the areas that we were first called to. And so both parents can become guilty of this. You know, I work, I work four days a week here at church, and I have to con- constantly be conscious about what's happening in my family so that it's not so that what I'm doing here isn't ruining what I've got here. My first, our first priority is to our families and making sure that we are taking responsibility in those areas before we go leave a legacy and build a mission and do all these amazing things. Our family has to be the first priority and you build on top of that together to build an incredible legacy. Don't let the legacy take out the family. So I'll tell you, um, Marie Kondo, she's an expert, you should listen to her. She gets things in order. Marie Kondo would tell you that if I want this to be all nice and clean and perfect, that it's gonna look worse before it gets better, okay? So if you have some moving around to do within your family, maybe with yourself, maybe you need to just make a little, you know, chess moves, move some things around to get things in order with the alignment of God. Don't be upset if it looks messy before it gets better. Because some of you are gonna have a wife that's like, I don't know what to do with this different man that's like coming and taking authority. I don't know, I don't know what to do to become this submissive wife that the Bible's called me to. You know? Don't be afraid if it gets messy before it gets better. And I would venture to say that if you're a part of this church and you're in this church family, that we have tools. There's no excuse if you're in this church to have a messy and dysfunctional family. Okay? So we're going to clean that up. Not as much as I'd like right now for time's sake, but we're going to get rid of that bag and never pick it up again. Amen. Gosh, this feels heavy. I don't mean to, I wanted to hug you all. I didn't want to slap. Okay. I think I have the Pastor Leanne anointing. Um, that's a, it's in a really good way. It's like, you know, smiling at the same time. <laughs> okay, number three is this one. Let's get my little Mavericks, cute little bag. He's obsessed with it. Um, okay, this one's little for a reason because this one is, just creeps in. This one's almost sometimes unnoticeable until you actually look for it. And so this bag, if you went to pick it up, could be easily mis... I mean, it is colorful, maybe not. But if it was not colorful, uh, you could easily miss it. And this one is called familiarity. Familiarity. And so we see this in families when dysfunction is wreaking havoc and there's messes and messy conversations everywhere. I can guarantee you, you can trace it back to a familiarity where honor and respect has been lost. The honor scale that my husband has brilliantly taught before says, it says honor 
and then you slippery slope to familiarity, and you slippery slope to dishonor, slippery slope, and then it's division. And this is one that I wanted to include today because a lot of people just think whatever is going on in your family is normal. Okay, that's okay because if you haven't been taught otherwise or been taught to notice something, then of course you don't know what you don't know. But now that you know and you look for this, it's, it, would, it is a powerful thing to catch it before it turns to division. So the opposite of honor is not dishonor. It would be familiarity. Even to the point where Jesus went back to his hometown, it says in Mark 6, and he could do no miracles there because they didn't honor him. He says, a prophet is not without honor except in his own town, among his relatives, and in his own home. He could not do any miracles there except lay hands on a few sick people and heal them. In families, when honor is lost, it's because we're all way too familiar with each other. We, we allow people to walk on us. We have no boundaries and we have no expectations for each other. There's no ground rules. There's no code of conduct. There's, there's no conversation. It's just the enemy has come in and wreaked havoc and gotten a foothold in a place that he's not allowed. Romans 12.9 says this, Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love and honor one another above yourselves. You know, I see this in marriage. Even you, I have to catch myself sometimes. I'm like talking to my husband and I'm like, wait, I wouldn't even talk to my best friend that way. What am I doing? And it's one of those things we just have to catch so quickly before the enemy, it, it's, it, you've seen it probably before. Like your husband or wife says one little thing and it's like, Oh, there's that slippery, slippery slope, and all of a sudden, you're not talking for three days. The husband and wife honor each other, and the kids honor their father and mother. Exodus 20, 12. My mom likes to text me that verse all the time. (laughs) Just kidding. I love her. She doesn't do that. But something I've noticed in families is that people talk about each other rather than talking directly to the person where the issue is. This happens in life everywhere. But where the enemy can, can destroy things is when we actually choose to do that in families because your family's always going to be there. You know, other people come and go, friends come and go, coworkers, da 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 but your family's always there. So what's said is always there. And it's always carried with the people that are always there. And so what we have to do is... I I had to set up this boundary in my own family between my sister and my mom. We had like this triangle. Uh, Ring, ring, ring. Hey, mom. Hey, oh my gosh, did you hear about... And she's doing this. And and I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And it get wrapped up into it. And you do. But then we excuse it and say, well, that's not gossip because we're trying to help the other family member. That's gossip. That's actually gossip. And see, this one's so creepy because we can think we're doing it to help the other family member, but what we're doing is causing more division and causing more messes. The more simple, well, I would say not the easier thing to do, but the better thing to do is to call the person directly and talk about the situation. And I literally, at one point, I told um, my mom and my sister that I was personally committed to not saying their names to each other unless it was something constructive and nice and in love. 
And so if you see that in your family, then I would tell the devil no more. So if you found yourself getting too familiar and you've kind of noticed the family members losing honor with each other, I just made a little list of things, some things you can do because I'm very practical. I like practicality. <laughs> so number one, and I do this often, you find things you are grateful for. Yeah. Find things you're grateful for about your mom, your dad, your mother-in-law. Find things you're grateful for. I am thankful that my mother-in-law raised an amazing man of God that I get to marry. Amen? At least be thankful for that, right? Find things you're grateful for with your kids. There's things, we're all going to walk through stuff with our kids. Find the good things and point those out. Speak them. Dwell on them. Say them to your kids. Say them to the people in your family. Number two, think about positive memories. This works for me every time. If my husband and I are not agreeing about something, I think about our wedding day. I think about, I look at pictures, and I think back to those beautiful memories and all the beautiful reasons why I married him, and it helps me to forget whatever's happening in this current situation. <laughs> Number three, set up healthy boundaries. Okay, I always hear people say, well, I set up boundaries. Well, did you tell them? Yeah. Like, I just put that boundary there. Goodbye. Good luck figuring that out. No, you have to tell them. If you're going to set up a boundary with somebody, because boundaries are good and there are such a thing as healthy boundaries, you can completely 1,000% do that. But you have to communicate them. You cannot set people up to fail. You have to set them up to win, put the ball in their court, and let them show you. And then you shift those boundaries as time goes by and you see different things happening. Number four, don't take a family member for granted. So I think it's really funny when I'm on Instagram and I see moms posting about how crazy their kids are or how they need to drink more wine because their kids are driving them crazy. And in my head, I'm going, Wait, those are the kids you prayed for that God would give you a couple years ago, and now you've forgotten. Or I hear a wife complaining about her husband, but I for a fact know that you prayed your whole life to be married to an amazing man of God such as the one you're married to. Vice versa for women and men. I'm not just picking on one or the other. But we can't take our family members for granted. Number five, forgive first and say sorry first. The Bible says a kind word turns away wrath. If someone is going at you so much, so hard, a kind word will turn away wrath. I'm sorry, and will you forgive me? And I forgive you are powerful statements that are underutilized in a family. Number six, see the people in your family as they have grown, not how they used to be. So we do this so often because we grew up with that person. We know all their ish. We know what they were like. We know what they did. Cousins, aunts, whoever it is. People change. And oftentimes we underestimate the, the process that God has them on. And we keep them in this little box over here of how we knew them when they were 15. 
and we don't see the growth that they've done in their personal life or worked so hard to get to. And I would challenge us this morning to look at people to where they've grown to, not to where you first knew them. Remember at the end of the day, God gave you the family you have for a reason, and we must fight for it to create a culture of honor. And so we're gonna take this stinking little bag, and we're gonna get rid of it, familiarity, and we're gonna see it for what it is, recognize it, and make sure it does not creep into our families, amen? Amen. So we're coming home from vacation now. Our 30-minute vacation is now ended. Hopefully next time you go on vacation, there's palm trees and beaches included and bathing suits and warm water. But don't we feel so much lighter? I could have had, yes, so much lighter. Without baggage, we can actually operate in what God has called us to operate in and who we're supposed to be in Christ. And I guarantee you, I could have had 47 bags up here. We all have stuff. We all have things we're working through. But the good news is we don't have to be victims to those things. And we can literally decide to check those bags and never pick them up again. Amen. So I'm going to pray for a couple of people this morning as we come to a close. And first, all of this, all of this is all contingent on a relationship with Jesus, a relationship with our Father. And I know a lot of us have come from families where fatherhood was not exemplified well. But God is here to redeem that, and God wants to show you who He is as your Father. Thanks for listening. To find out more about our pastors, team, and what we do at C3 San Diego, go to C3SanDiego.com. 